Okay, so in case you guys haven't already noticed, Pastor Pete is not here today. I want you to feel real bad for him. He's at the Grand Tetons. <laughs> He's at a training conference actually for um, theology, for open and relational theology. So you, I know we're going to be hearing lots more about this training that he's going through. So I'm excited for him. So now I would like to invite you all to welcome Jenny Kenny Matheny. This is Karen Kenny's daughter. And of course, if you know Karen, you know she's very proud of her daughter. And I'm going to let Jenny share with you about uh, what she does for a living so you can get a better understanding. Thank you so much, Dar. Thank you. It is such a gift. Woo! Hi. Good morning. Uh, it's such a gift to be with you here today. I love this church so much, so much. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but right now, I am in Manhattan, Kansas, and part of the Jesus adventure I have been on, very unexpected, is I am now uh, going into my third year of teaching Old Testament at Nazarene Theological Seminary. So I love the Bible, uh, but part of this Jesus adventure for me has been growing up, there were certain parts of the Old Testament I was actually afraid of it. I'm like, I don't understand this. And so God just kept opening the door for me to journey deeper, to understand more. And I have met God in such powerful ways in the Bible. And so I am so excited, of course, to share with you today. Um, and one of the things I wanted to share as well is that many of you uh, I have met, a lot of you know my mom, Karen, uh, and, my, and you knew my dad. And so Crosswalk has been such a beautiful place in the story of our family. And I want you to also know, Pastor Pete and Dar love you all deeply. And I hope you know that deep in your bones. Our family, my husband and I and kids, actually moved back to California after closing a church plant during a time that was really hard in our lives. I don't know if you've been through those times where you're super disoriented. I'm like, I don't know if we'll be in ministry again. I don't know which end is up. We feel like this big. And then we came to this church. And Pete and Dar still saw us. And I don't know if you've been in those places of life where you feel invisible, small, and just like, oh, what is happening? And I talked to him a minute ago. invited us into these beautiful places of ministry. Pete would say, hey, do you want to preach? I'm like, really? Okay. <laughs> and my husband's like, does spiritual right. formation? Is it like church. to meet people? Have what's wrong with you? So they just kind of helped us in this time. I said I'd go with you. When we were super disoriented. Oh my God, Dave Stewart. The stuff that was about to come. Did you talk to your daughter? Pastoring at a church in Sonoma. And then I got a I was only sitting here waiting for you to come back. This church is so loving. And so I just hope you all know what a gift it is to have a community like this. Um, All right. So I'm going to get into what I want to talk about today. Years ago, I was teaching at a school. George Fox University in Newburgh, Oregon. And our department, I was teaching adjuncting uh, some Bible, Bible classes. And in our area, there was a long hallway that was the nursing department. And so joining these hallways together, there's usually this box of free books. And I don't know about you, but it's kind of fun sometimes to see what you can do with what you got. And part of me thought, wouldn't it be fun to just grab five random books and see if I could publish a paper? Because it could be nursing, philosophy, religion. I never did it. But I always thought that could be fun. And some of you, I think, have experienced similar things as I have through COVID of like meal preparation. Like, I don't want to go to the grocery store, right? When this thing got kicking. 
and I never went. I always sent my husband and my, and my daughter, poor, poor family members. Um, but it was like meals got really creative at times, right? I was like, wow, I'm saving a lot from this meal to eat again. And sometimes I'd dig in the deep freeze and I'd find a pound of hamburger and it was like winning the lottery. I was like, yes, <laughs> we found this. Um, and so, yeah, so it's interesting when you try to create something with what you got. And so today I want to talk about Psalm 1. And this is going to include me digging into the box of the lectionary. So the lectionary text for today, and I know Pastor Pete has been teaching through the lectionary a bit, um, is 2 Samuel and John. So this is my free box, and I thought I'm going to pull these stories out and like create a sermon, and I think it's going to work out. Um, sometimes lectionary texts seem random. They're like, kind of like, as I said, grabbing random books. But there's actually wisdom in how these stories are placed together. Let me put that down there. One way to plan sermons that some pastors do is by going through the lectionary. And what these are is that they're chosen texts that walk through the life of Jesus through the Christian calendar, the seven major, major seasons of the church. Uh, Lacey Finborgo writes, as the physical seasons set the rhythm of the earth, so the church season can set our rhythm to the rhythm of Jesus Christ. So the church calendar follows the pattern of preparation and celebration. And what it does is like in Advent, we prepare for God with us. At Christmas tide, we celebrate God with us. During Epiphany, we step into the life with God. In Lent, we prepare for our own death and the death of Jesus at Eastertide. Oh, and at Eastertide, we celebrate that he died, but that he rose to life and us with him. What hope is that, right? And then Pentecost and Kingdom Tide, we live out his resurrection in ours. So today, my hope, my prayer is to encourage each of you on your faith journey to love God with what you have, with what you got in your box. So Psalm 1 is a call to dig deep, maybe not into the freezer, uh, but deep into the ways and the wisdom of God. Psalm 1 describes two paths. One path follows God and the other does not. One way brings life and hope, and the other is oppressing, self-serving, opposed to the ways of God. And the two stories from our lectionary today are great examples of someone who chose wisely and someone that did not. So each of these choices also has incredible ripple effects. So the path of wisdom is not always obvious. Sometimes this path takes the world, uh, takes you through routes that you might think are odd. You're like, this is a little bit, Lord, what are we doing here? Um, and often in our GPS, right, this isn't where you're going to find the wisdom of God. But like the GPS, there's a destination with God we're aiming for, of healing and wholeness in the world, this path that Psalm 1 talks about. So my hope today is to leave you inspired with God's calling on your life and God's invitation to consider the mysteries of God's wisdom and God's way in this world. And perhaps consider how you can participate in what God is doing in your own spheres of influence. It isn't always, right, about the crazy big things we do. Often it can be those small, everyday things we're invited into that can have incredible, in, like, effects and results. 
within our families, our communities, and our neighborhoods. Loving God with what you have and who you are. So no matter how little you think you have to offer God, God can do immeasurably more than you ask, can ask or imagine. So what are the Psalms? I'm glad you've asked. The Psalms are the voices of God's people in prayers and praise to God. And there are 150 of them. They go through all life situations, all emotions. There are recordings of thankfulness, lives in harmony with God, lives out of sync. Some express anger, some joy. And we enter into this conversation, right, of the ages with this. I mean, they can get really angry, right? Some of them are like, God, are you sleeping? Where are you, right? There's a place to voice all of that in the Psalms. And what they do is that these Psalms inform our life and liturgy and our goal, this opportunity to heal and restore. And this takes all sorts of forms that we can partner with God in, taking care of the environment, making sure others have their needs met, sharing the powerful message of Jesus, that you're loved, you're known, you're forgiven, you're invited into a family. John 3.16 says, Jesus came not into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And we get to catch glimpses of God's work and join in that work and be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And I know Crosswalk is all about that. So there's lots of reasons why I love the Psalms. And my journey with them actually started with misinterpretations. <laughs> so sometimes I, yeah, pull scriptures out for funny reasons. Uh, on Facebook once, uh, somebody had posted, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. So this was me, freshman year of college. Psalm 56.1, have mercy on me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. So that story is about David being like chased in the wilderness and I was all about getting dates. <laughs> have mercy on me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. Especially being from California and then going to the Midwest for college, you're like already something special, right? Yeah, you all know. Uh, so I was just grabbing that. Um, so that's my confession to you today. I intentionally misquoted the Psalms. Um, but the reality is, for most of church history, the Psalms provide witness, words, and comfort. When we get really angry, as I mentioned, in those places, there's words for that. There's a place to express our pain. When I forget who I am, the Psalms remind me of God's work throughout history, saving, redeeming, cleansing, forgiving, healing. When I feel really thankful, there's those Psalms for that. And you realize the God of wonders has been present through all the ages. The loving kindness of God is woven throughout all generations. So if you've never heard about the Psalms much or read them much, know that you're not alone. Old Testament scholar Brent Strawn actually has said that these Psalms are underknown in North America. And I love that word underknown. I don't know why. This thing is like of underwear. But anyways, the Psalms are underknown and it's a fun word. So maybe your challenge this summer is to dive into the Psalms. Maybe read Psalm 1 this week and just see what happens. So the Psalms are the voice of God's people to God in all sorts of situations, praying. They're collected and they become part of the worship liturgy of Israel and the church today. So when you pray a psalm, you enter a conversation of the ages. And you realize God can handle your doubt, your anger, your hope. And you discover that your voice joins with those from before us, those with us now, and those that will continue on. 
And the Psalms aren't just part of Israel in the Old Testament, right? They're actually quoted or alluded to in almost every book in the New Testament. And I can't help but think the Psalms are a great corrective to anyone that's been told, don't complain, right? Have faith, don't get mad. I don't know if some of you have ever experienced that, but sometimes some Christian communities, it can, they can put that weight on you of, well, if you're upset, like just trust God. And they mean well, um, but at the same time, that's not what the Psalms teach us. Um, some say, you know, don't be upset, have faith, suck it up, buttercup. I don't know if that, they say that, but, but basically you can start to feel like, am I not trusting God if I'm really upset in this situation? But Psalms give us this honest picture of faith. They provide a pathway to place all of who we are in every season of life, whether we're in doubt, we're angry, as well as other places of hope and thanksgiving. <clears throat> so our Psalm today, Psalm 1, is categorized as a wisdom Psalm and a Torah Psalm. And so I'm going to focus on these two ways presented in the Psalm, and they're actually woven throughout all the 150 Psalms. Psalm 1 and 2 together are this introduction to the Psalter. So it's like starting a journey, a hiking. I don't know if some of you do that. It's sort of like that guidepost. This is where you're going. Psalm 150 is a hallelujah Psalm, which is praise the Lord. And so Denise Domkowski-Hopkins, say her name right, <clears throat> says that the interesting thing is as a guidepost, what we realize is that these guideposts are important. It's an introduction to prepare you for all that is to come. So if Psalm 150 is a hallelujah Psalm and all the Psalms woe through all of life, and in the Hebrew, this, uh, the Sefer Tehalim, the book of praises, if all of this, are, if all these Psalms are praises, this means that Israel understood all of life as praise to God, not only when we're happy, but also in our darkest moments. Real lives of worship are honest lives of worship. So let me read Psalm 1. Grab a quick drink of water. And you can feel free to turn to it if you have as well. Psalm 1. Happy is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, and does not stand in the way of sinners and sit in the seat of scoffers. Rather, their delight is in the Torah, the law and instruction of the Lord, who meditates on Torah day and night. They are like trees planted or transplanted by streams of water, which produces its fruit in season. Um, <clears throat> excuse me whose leaves do not wither, but who prospers in everything. Not so the wicked, rather they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not arise in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Two ways, wisdom psalm. In its very essence, the life of living out wisdom is God's wisdom. And it may not make sense in the world, yet it transforms the world. It transforms the world because if we live this life rooted in God's wisdom, what it produces is life, healing, restoration, wholeness. Life lived this way actually means we become more human, not less. More of who we're created to become. And in my opinion, wisdom is not as hotly pursued often, right, in today's day and age. And if you go to social media to find out what's wise, like you're going to get answers all over the place. <clears throat> it's actually quite overwhelming. 
So where do we find it? So if you decide to like kind of go to sleep now for the rest of the sermon, <laughs> I'll just go ahead and give you a heads up. James 1, where's wisdom? Ask God. Ask God. Psalm 1 tells us to sink deep into this place and just ask God, Jesus, where are you at work? Where can I join you in this work? Denise Hopkins writes, in the Hebrew Bible, the word for wisdom is hokmah, and the Greek equivalent is Sophia. They're both feminine nouns. So in the Hebrew Bible, wisdom means lots of things. So it can be like technical skill, if you're a farmer, you're an artist, uh, you're a sailor, you're a politician, a diplomat, right? It's all, wisdom encompasses all of this. It's the art of living, right? And in terms of behavior and attitude of life, religion or faith, but see, what's unique about Israel's wisdom is that it is rooted in the fear of the Lord. And so fear of the Lord can bring about some different feelings for some of us. Um, but it's not afraid in the sense that God might be scary or unpredictable, but more like we're in awe and amazed, amazement of God. So really wisdom is rooted in the awe of God. So is it something that anyone can attain? So it is something that we can, yet it's also sort of hidden. It's sort of like Lord shows us things along the way, along the path. Um, Job says, where can wisdom be found? And then in Job 28, it says, God understands the way to it and knows its place. And often wisdom is discovered through story. And I love how Jesus shares parables to get everyone thinking deeper, right? They want the easy answer. We want that, right? What's the hashtag? What's the easy answer? And Jesus is like, let me tell you a story. And then everyone around is like, oh, I thought about it like that, right? You just are invited into this conversation. And wisdom, to, like live to God, might seem odd in the world, but it's a beautiful odd that seeks healing, justice, righteousness, forgiveness. And it's a life marked by the love of God. Can you recall times in your life where you chose the ways of God and maybe at that time it didn't make sense, right? And then now as you reflect back, maybe that was a really bold move of faith. And I encourage you, if you have some of those stories, share them with one another. One of the things about Psalm 1 that I love, Eugene Peterson describes it as an action and an image. The action is to delight and meditate on the Torah. And I'll talk about that in a minute. And the image is a tree. So as I'm talking, feel free to just look at a tree. There's something really powerful sometimes about praying an image and just thinking with an image that God gives us. Really, the tree in Psalm 1, it's like God is giving like art, right? Think about this tree. Think about what it speaks into your life. These two paths, right? Delight and meditate, and then this tree. The Psalm says, blessed are those, happy are those who delight and meditate on the law, the Torah. So meditate's a really fun word. Uh, it's not like sitting in a yoga position, which is great, uh, and just thinking. It actually is a bit more active. It means to murmur. It's used in Isaiah to describe the growling of a lion. And imagine chewing on an idea, right? That's meditating. What has your mind been chewing on this week? What have you been thinking about this week? In the ancient context, often this is done out loud. Imagine a group together saying the psalm. Meditating is embodied, right, in the heart, the mind, and the voice. Torah actually comes from the Hebrew word to teach, so it can be translated as instruction. Its aim is life lived with God. 
it's when we think of like law, often it's a list of to do's and to don'ts, right? <laughs> to don'ts. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but actually, it's a living thing. It requires wisdom, connection to the source, enter any legal court. How do we apply this law, right? Like Israel's always figuring out, okay, you know, how do we do this? And even if you read the Ten Commandments, what's important to know that it's these are rules that the spirit of is loving God and loving neighbor. And they're framed by story, the story of God's salvation. So rather than a restrictive list, God's inviting Israel, like, this is how you love each other well. Yeah, do this, right? This is how you do this. So that's really the spirit of the law, loving God and neighbor. And because Old Testament is old, <laughs> um, there are ancient contextual things that you might read something and go, I don't get that. And don't worry, most of us don't, but it will take a little study. But at the same time, the spirit of the law, right, is loving God and loving the world. And one scholar describes it this way. While the righteous praise God and pray to God in trouble, the wicked flatter themselves, seek to advance their own cause, they're greedy for gain, and the wicked curse and renounce the Lord. The wicked take advantage of the righteous. And when we think of wicked, like we don't use this verbiage anymore, right? It sounds very like off-putting, like, oh, you're telling me there's two ways to live. Like, you can't do that, you know, but you'll, you'll get it in a minute when I bring our stories in. But like the wicked is a weird category. It feels kind of like a fairy tale, like a witch in Wizard of Oz. Or I'm thinking like Cruella DeVille in 101 Dalmatians. Like her name, Cruella, like she had it rough from the get-go, right? Um, and it's such a dark story, like puppies, really puppies. Oh man. So I haven't seen it, but I heard the new 101 Dalmatian movie, like kind of puts a spin on Cruella and you have some empathy for her. And I love that because really when we get to know someone's story, we have compassion and we were like, oh, we want you to choose the path that leads to wisdom and wholeness. Free the puppies, right? Like that's what we want. Um, and then often with the righteous, we imagine somebody maybe better than others, like they're just full of themselves. Uh, but actually, it's interesting because the Psalms just run into these terms all throughout. And they really are describing two different ways to live. And the righteous, they're not stuck up people. They are people who are completely dependent on God with their entire beings. One scholar wrote, the characteristics of the righteous actually suggests that the word righteous, sadiq, right, is synonymous with the terms poor, oppressed, and needy. So listen again. The righteous are the poor, the oppressed, the needy. They are those who seek God and are completely dependent on God, right? This starts to give us a different picture. So the two stories from our lectionary to frame the two ways, I'm going to get to those. Uh, one is the wrong way. This is the Old Testament text for today, 2 Samuel 11. You're like, no, bad choices. Choices, these are selfish, right? Uh, these are not God's plans for loving us and loving the world. And then we're going to contrast that with the second way, the way of life that we find in John 6. Yes, trusting God and choosing wisdom. So with our first story, it's a story about someone choosing this wrong path, the path away from loving God and neighbor in 2 Samuel 11. And this is a story about David. Some of you may be familiar with this character, David. He's a really important figure in the Old Testament. He's actually in the line of Jesus. And it's a story when David kind of lost his way. He spent much of his life following God. Um, he was a person of prayer, dependent on God. And then there's, there are seasons in his life he faced Goliath, right? His opponent in life was way bigger than him. 
but he knew God was even bigger than that. And so he trusted God. And so David's an amazing figure. But at this point in 2 Samuel 11, he's an adult in a place of power. In fact, he's Israel's king. And in, in this story, David takes a wrong turn. In this story, David decides to fill his own need and desires. And his choices start to spiral fast. In the beginning, the writer alerts us to the story that David is not doing what he should be doing as king. In verse 1, it states, In the spring at the times when kings go off to war, David sends Joab to go, right? With the king's men and all the Israelite army. So David's like, I'm going to stay at home. He's already proven himself. Life is good, right? Maybe he decides, I'm going to watch Love Island on Hulu. I don't know. Don't ask me how I know about it. No, but so he's, you know, chilling at home. And then during a walk on a roof, he sees a woman bathing. He sends for her, sleeps with her, sends her home. She has no choice in the matter. David's king. Her name is Bathsheba, and she is powerless in this situation. Her husband, Uriah, is away fighting. David's wrong choice leads to a bunch of other wrong choices. Bathsheba becomes pregnant. David finds out. He tries to cover it up. He's like, bring Uriah back, okay? And then they'll like get together and then they'll think it's his kid, whatever. But Uriah is a righteous man. He's like, my guys are fighting in the war. I'm not going to enjoy the company of my wife while these guys are risking their lives. He doesn't do it. So David is like, ugh, his attempt to cover up fails. So he sends Uriah back in a vulnerable place in the battlefield and he's killed. This David, who we knew to choose wisdom and following God most of his life, has deeply disappointed us. He has deeply failed. God does not give up on David, though. God doesn't give up on him. He sends the prophet Nathan, so now God's doing the sending, to call this out. You're choosing the wicked way to call out this sin, open his eyes. And David is reminded of Torah, of the ways of God, the path of righteousness. And he's missed it. And his actions were all about himself, right? And in this powerful position, David's king. He could have decided, I'm not going to listen to this prophet. I'm going to do what I want. You don't own me, right? But he does listen. Even so, though, the ripple effects are strong, right? Victims do mount up in this situation. It, David's decision has personal and communal effects. God continues to pursue David. And God continues to pursue Bathsheba, their children, and us. Psalm 51 actually is associated with this moment of moral failure in David's life. And David does say yes to God to get back on the right path in this moment. And Psalm 51, if you read it, is with this story in Samuel. Have mercy on me, O God. Cleanse my sin. I have sinned against you. Create in me a pure heart. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. So this psalm, Psalm 51, is David's cry for forgiveness. And this psalm has been prayed and cried for centuries on the lips of so many after David. And it's a powerful example of the wrong path that Psalm 1 talks about being chosen. And it became a part of Israel's liturgy and worship and ours. So psalms give us words to pray when we really, you know, mess up. <laughs> and so they're very powerful. So now I want to turn to another story that describes the other way, the story of the righteous. This is the story of the path of wisdom is from our lectionary box of freebies. And it's one that God continually brings to my mind when I struggle to trust. And it's a miracle story 
that's actually the only one in all the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's a story about Jesus and this kid and his lunchable saving the day. I love this story. In the book of John, there's seven signs or miracles that point us to reveal who Jesus' true identity is and to call people to trust. And this is one of my favorite in John 6 because it involves bread, and I love really good bread. And so in this scene, there's a large crowd with Jesus, and they're amazed at all that he is doing for the sick. Jesus turns to Philip and asks him, how are we going to feed these people lunch? And in the back of Jesus's mind, Jesus kind of already knows what he's thinking he's going to do. And Philip's like very practical. He's like, six month wages aren't going to feed these people. He's like, I don't know. Um, and this isn't word for word from the Bible, <laughs> sort of like paraphrasing. Um, and then he's like, I don't know. Yikes, Jesus. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says, here's a boy with five loaves and two fish. Um, He's like, it's not really enough for an appetizer for the crowd, but this, I don't know, this is what I found. Jesus takes this little lunch, right, that the boy offered freely. He, multi he gives thanks, multiplies it, feeds everyone, and there's leftovers. So it doesn't even just meet the need. There's like bonus, right? And the storyteller John gives us incredible detail here. It's Passover time. So as we read this miracle story in John 6, we're reminded of Moses people being formed by bread from heaven in the desert as a community of God, newly freed. And in this moment, real physical need is met with this miracle. So reading this story as a mom, all my questions are different than all the commentaries you read. <laughs> I have completely different questions. In my mind, I'm like, depending on the loaf size, it's probably small, but like why five loaves? Like, is her kid like a big eater? Like, <laughs> it seems like a lot of bread. I'm going to name this kid Jack, right, just for fun. So in my imagination, I'm naming people here that's not in the Bible. Um, his friends, Luca and Oliver, are going to be with Jack that day. And Jack's mom knew, this is my rendition, that, oh, they're probably going to forget their lunches. So I'll pack a little extra, uh, a few extra Lunchables. So, and I imagine his mom like me, right, super prepared, ready with a sack lunch in hand as Jack goes out the door on his Jesus adventure Luca and Oliver following close behind. And then the moment comes in the crowd. Most would not offer their lunch. Logic says, waste of time, not enough food. But for little Jack, he just wants to help Jesus. He sees Andrew and Philip walk by and says, hey, 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 can you give this to Jesus? This little insignificant lunch offered freely. This is the story that is continually reenacted in my own life at every turn. Jesus, I don't think this is enough. Jesus, I don't think I'm enough. In these moments when I begin to doubt, I'm reminded of the five loaves and the two fish. And I think, Jesus, this is all I have to give. I choose to trust you to do more than I think is possible. And I think many of us struggle with similar things. We feel overwhelmed by the needs in the world. It is so overwhelming right now, is it not? In our world, our neighborhoods, our families, even in our own lives. And Jesus takes the little we offer and he says, watch what I'm going to do with your faith, your yes. You may not feel like you've given enough. You may not feel like you're enough, but you are made in my image. 
we can do much more than you can ask or imagine. The path of wisdom says, yes, take that step of faith. Offer your Lunchable. Watch me make a feast for the world. Don't give up hope. The story is not over. We are writing this together. And this is the wisdom in the way of Jesus. When we feel overwhelmed with the needs of the world, we offer what we can where we are, loving God with what you got. And we begin with the image from Psalm 1, a tree. And I love that we're in this courtyard right now with trees all around us. Praying an image. Think about it. By planting ourselves in the source of wisdom, Jesus, we begin to see things through new eyes of faith. Let me read it again. The righteous are on this path. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which produces its fruit in season, whose leaves do not wither, but who prospers in everything. But on the word prosper, this can be a bit misleading. We could be thinking like, oh, everything I touch will turn to gold. Oh, no, no. <laughs> um, actually, a better translation word is thrive, but whose leaves do not weather, but who thrives in everything. Hopkins writes, to thrive is to live this life with God, right? And it's the sense of God embracing us, cherishing us, and looking after us. To delight in the Torah, the instruction, right, doesn't mean hard things aren't going to happen. This tree planted by streams is going to endure rough weather, storms, fruit is not falling off of it all the time, but in season. There's waiting for fruit to blossom, to grow, to become ripe. Psalm 1 is an invitation to this wisdom, an invitation to choose the path of the righteous who are completely dependent on God, a path to love God and neighbor. And this may not always make sense, but it is an invitation to transform the world. And I encourage you, maybe read this psalm every day, and it might stir up stories and images for you, to contemplate, what does it mean to be a tree transplanted by this stream of water? And perhaps today, it's time to be planted in a community following Jesus. Perhaps today, there's an invitation to trust God with yourself. You're enough right where you are. You don't have to wait till you have X and X factor together. Right now, enough. And just like the story of the boy and his Lunchable, just offer your honest self to God. And God can do so much more than we can ask or imagine. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for this time in Psalm 1 together. Show us this path of wisdom. Transplant our lives in the source that is nourished by you, living water. Give us eyes of faith to see what you see and to love how you love. May we offer what we have to you, trusting that you will do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Use our little things to do big things, to feed the world, to heal the world, and to love the world. And I'll go ahead and read the benediction as well. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love where there is injury, pardon, where there is doubt, faith, where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. O oh Lord, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood 
as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. For you, Jesus, reign in glory and the power that is love, now and forever. Amen. All right. Thank you all. I hope you have a wonderful day.